Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Ben Schumann Solar. What's up, Caitlin? What's up, Ben? So glad you're here. The past couple of episodes have been lonely without you, and I'm so glad you're here in the studio with me. I'm also glad to be here. I enjoyed them. I learned a lot of stuff. Did in you? In those last three episodes. Good. Yeah, I think you were fine alone, actually, but... I don't you know. You need your messy procrastinator next to you, I guess. That's what Do you I think learned. you're the messy procrastinator? You called me a messy procrastinator. Did I? Those, in one of the episodes, in the Catherine Morgan I think I'm wrong. Episode. I don't know. I just know, you know what? There's more to say about this in a future episode of Simplify about creative partners. But I don't know. I just think that we have complementary perfectionist styles. So I've missed you and I'm glad you're back. It is a new year. And the intention was to have this really beautiful interview to go out for some some support for anybody who might be feeling it on Blue Monday, which is January 15th. Uh, Blue Monday is known as the saddest day of the year. It's kind of like it's that point in the new winter season after which holidays have happened, like the hustle and bustle and excitement of a new year, new you right. uh, has all kind of drained away. And you're just staring down the barrel of if you live in Berlin, like we do five more months of winter <laughs> and you're like, what is the meaning of existence? And it can feel kind of sad. So we wanted to put this out for Blue Monday also because this has to do with the Joni Mitchell Blue album. Okay. However, that didn't happen. I've been sick. Maybe you can still hear it in my voice, but we had to have a little bit of a, a production delay because I just wasn't up for it. And it's important to take care of your body as we have learned many times. <laughs> <laughs> but today we have a poet a poet who wrote a beautiful book called Arrangements in Blue. Her name is Amy Key. She's a poet. She's also an essayist. She's written columns and magazines, so she's not exclusively a poet, but the language of her book is beautiful. And she writes about many things. She writes about loneliness. She writes about singlehood. She writes about living a life that is devoid of the kind of romantic love that we're supposed to want the romantic partnership in a conventional sense and how to make a good life. Not despite that, but other ways to make a good life that don't necessarily align with what we see every day. Yeah. And as a not single person and like not the world's biggest Joni Mitchell fan, although I don't have anything against Joni Mitchell. I also enjoyed the interview, to be honest. I think there's I think there's enough in here that people are going to get. And um, there's a really nice moment talking about holiday, <laughs> taking vacations. Yes. So. Let's hash it out in the bookend after the interview. Yeah, we'll be back in the bookend with some recommendations and a recap. Cool, let's roll it. Amy, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, I'm really pleased to be here. Delightful. So you do many things. You're a poet, you're a writer, but I don't know. I always like to ask people how they like to be introduced. What's important to you when you're entering a space? What do you want people to know about you? Oh, usually that I've got two cats at home, if I'm completely transparent <laughs> about it. Um, oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting question because I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm in context where I'm like, oh, yes, I'm a poet or, oh, yes, I'm a public sector worker or, oh, yes, I'm, I'm a writer. But I don't really define myself by any of those things, um, mm. you know, as kind of primary signifiers of who I am. Mm-hmm. A Joni Mitchell fancier, perhaps? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Big Joni fan. <laughs> yeah. As evidenced by the fact that today we're going to talk about your new book, which is called Arrangements in Blue, Notes on Loving and Living Alone. All cards on the table. I really loved this book. It is destigmatizing. It's honest. It's an exploration of what a good life can mean and what goes into a good life. And it puts out into the world thoughts that I think 
Most of us only ever dare to whisper to ourselves or scroll into our journals when we're having a dark night of the soul. Questions like, what is wrong with me? And why does everyone else have romantic love and I don't? And I love so much that you're very bare about the act of wanting here and wanting romantic love. Mm. And um, I really appreciated that you put that out into the world. How did you decide to get so raw with this book? Yeah, I mean, part of it is the inspiration of the work of Joni Mitchell. I think when she put out the album Blue, uh, lots of her male contemporaries were like shocked and a little bit horrified at what they saw as this kind of gushing, feminine confessional. And I think Christopherson said something to her like, geez, Joni, like, won't you keep something for yourself? But she later talked about how she wanted, she offered her vulnerability to people and it helped them face their own vulnerability. And that was Mm. certainly true for me with Blue. Um, And I felt like I couldn't really tackle this issue without being very transparent about all of my messy thoughts and feelings about it because I feel like when you're talking about something like the absence of romantic love and all of the stigma that can entail and then we're encouraged mm. to either claim singlehood as this brilliantly empowering experience and talk about the ways in which we don't need love and, you know, I don't need a man and I can just get on with my life and be happy without a romantic partner, which in some cases is true, or we're encouraged to pursue love no matter what the cost to us is. And I feel like quite often we're asked to choose between these kind of binaries. Mm. And in reality, you can live a really great life without a romantic partner, but you may still desire a romantic partner and that will bring, you know, it will be attended by lots of different feelings and sometimes those feelings will be loneliness and sometimes there'll be shame and sometimes there'll be anger or grief. And I wanted to represent a much more nuanced, honest account of working out how to live in this world that prizes romantic love above all other things and basically says, you know, romantic love is the reason for living. And you know, go guts and all, because that has been my experience. And I didn't feel like I saw it um, represented in as honest way that I needed, I needed to see represented. And that's one of the things that contributed, I think, to my loneliness and shame. And I think with putting this book into the world, you will, like, Joni helped you with vulnerability, you'll help people feel less of that, which I always think is a good thing. So one of the things that I heard in and you speaking of your experience reflected here was this idea that romantic love is a it's like a culminating finishing experience for a human. Mm. That's what makes us whole. Mm. And it's so infuriating to me that at the same time, we're also told that we should not want that. So, as you said, it seems like we have to adopt this like fierce single stance, like I am totally fine. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being single. I can do all my own stuff. Or we have to just, you know, commit ourselves to being these like wasting away (laughs) maiden aunts who yearn so much for the love that is not given to them. And I just, there's such a problem 
with the in-between. And I think what's in the in-between there is the admission of wanting. There's something that's very troubling to society, I think, about women wanting. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're deeply uncomfortable with it, with longing, with desire, with wanting more than we're offered. It's not that like I haven't had any romantic relationships I have, but in so many of those, I was just always accepting the scraps that I was offered and never wanted mm. to ask for more. Mm-hmm. And so I was deeply unhappy as a result. I hear that. I, I think another central question here is how do we live a good life? Even even if we're single. And it's crazy to me that it even <laughs> occurred to me to ask the question in that formulation, the even though of it. But you have this, there's this beautiful quote you say, even though it's more unusual to live outside of the bounds of romantic relationship than it is to live within them. I feel it could be valuable to us all to think about the ways in which we can create good lives mm. without expecting romantic love to do the work. So then, Amy, what for you are the pillars of a good life? I think these are the central kind of questions that I explored in the book. So there were certain things that I thought the absence of romantic love was sort of withholding from me, like was holding hostage. Um, And these were all elements of what would mean meaningful, complete, whole life, as it were. And those were about the idea of creating a home because so much of the culture around home is that home is only a place where a family lives. It's where your heart lives, Mm. you know, and it doesn't matter what your home looks and feels like. As long as there's a person in the home that loves you, then you have a good home, which, Mm. you know, to a certain extent, I absolutely buy into because having secure housing, having parents who care and nurture you, you know, having a good partner. They are things that make home feel like home. But it made me feel like, well, if I live in my home on my own, what is that to society? Is that a sad thing? Is my home kind of, and my home life and my family life sort of pokey and small? Is it selfish somehow to just live alone and cater to my own needs? I think things for a long time felt like I was stuck. I was sort of stuck in mm. the same sort of lifestyle, the same sort of thought patterns. And I I felt like love was the way that I would somehow be transformed. And I think, you know, mm. that is because our culture says so often the love, is romantic love in particular, is the way that you come to know the sublime, come to know yourself fully are completed as a person, just to to quote from Jerry Maguire. And I really resented that. And then I found that there were all of these other things I could do that gave me a feeling that I was progressing and in a very different way to other people because I wasn't progressing Mm. through, you know, chalking up the grand milestones of life, falling in love, buying a house with a partner, getting married, having a child having my 10th wedding anniversary, et cetera. You know, I'd I'd often see, when I get planes, I don't know why this is always so noticeable to me, but I often see women with their families and I see that they've got their engagement ring, they've got their wedding ring, and then they have these other rings representing each of their children and they're just like racking up these rings. Anyway, it's very different. but, But when I sit at the piano and I try and teach myself a new song or when... After, you know, 30 years, I pick up a paintbrush and decide that I am now going to be a painter, even though I can't paint very well. And I was always told that there was sort of no point me trying. 
Um, my life is evolving. It is changing. Yeah. And I think paying attention to those subtle changes and the things that actually are meaningful for us as individuals rather than the things that we're told should be meaningful for us as individuals, because that is the way for me that you are able to see what a meaningful life is and could be. Mm. That was so nice. You have been on the receiving end of lots of transformative love, though, it seems. You have, mm. your book is peopled with so many vibrant friendships. And it sounds to me like what you're describing there is, uh, or what I was thinking when you were you were talking about painting and playing the piano, is that I think the more difficult thing about being single long-term or not having romantic love is that you want this thing where the point of your love is to bring out the best in me and in you, yeah. as Joni yeah. says, but you're you're the one that has to bring out the best in yourself. Yeah. And you have to keep at it. You have to find new avenues for it because where another person might provide an impulse and a springboard and a canvas even for you to transform yourself and to see yourself when you don't have romantic love, it's sometimes just up to you. And you found these creative outlets that help you do that to bring out your best and discover what that might even look like. But it's it's fucking exhausting. <laughs> frankly, much like doing your own chores all the time. Yeah. And and like, I certainly have times when I, you know, I just want to feel like a little baby. I want someone to come in and take care of me and tell me what to do and be accountable for me, or at least share the accountability that I have to have in my life with me. Um, I never get to hide behind someone else's wants or desires in the way that some people and couples do. Oh, you know, sorry, we can't we're doing this with so-and-so's mm. family or we've decided this, we've decided that. I don't get to hide behind that. Everything has to be I. And and that can feel really scary sometimes and lonely and difficult. And to be honest, you know, there's been times when I've really resented seeing how people, particularly men who have, you know, been really irresponsible, go through this kind of reincarnation as a good human because they fall in love and mm. everything becomes about servicing a kind of, I don't know, the higher power of their partner. And I think what you've got to be able to do that for yourself. It's good to be able to do it for yourself, which isn't to take away anything from the fact that, you know, falling in love and, and having a committed relationship can make you braver and all of those sorts of things. And And, and I would hope that in my friendships, you know, some of which I write about in the book, some of those friendships have made me, have altered me, have made me braver, all of those things too. Yeah. Can you talk about your friends a little bit and how that intimacy fills your life? Yeah, I can. Um, I think there was a time when I felt really subservient to all of my friends' romantic relationships. I felt like I was somehow less important to them than their romantic partner or like I focused a lot on the way in which their romantic partners were their primary kind of concern and I'd mm. made an assumption that I couldn't ask for the help and support that I needed as an individual within my own set of circumstances so just because say my best friend has a partner who would probably be the first person 
who would be on her list to, to attend her difficult appointment with her doesn't mean that I'm not entitled or indeed wouldn't be encouraged to ask her to be that person for me. It's like I enforced this hierarchy without mm. actually <laughs> opening up the conversation to my friends mm -hmm. about what they would want and how they would like to support me. And it only really struck me when I was in therapy for a brief time and the therapist said to me, um, you, you do realise you might be denying your friends the pleasure of helping you. Um, it was almost like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I thought that I was saving them from like drudgery or discomfort. But when actually I was denying them the opportunity to help or choose to help. So in my friendships in more recent years, I've had to really challenge myself and learn to ask for what I need instead of just assuming that people would a magically know that that's what I would want or uh, offer because sometimes people don't know and, and if you're going to have a good trusting relationship you do have to be responsible for saying the things that you need within that relationship yeah I love that thank you for saying all of that I think that's really really important and the realization that you described coming to in therapy that, oh, you might actually be depriving people of an opportunity to develop deeper intimacy with you and to show up for you in a way that would be meaningful for them too, is I think a, a really revolutionary idea in some ways to some people, especially if we're in the habit of minimizing our needs or if we're in the habit of being the support system to couples and to others. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I also really loved your your chapter on holidaying alone. And um, one of the things, I'm, I'm going to do that awful thing where I read your own words back <laughs> to you for just a second, uh, because I isolated it and I was like, actually, this is pretty much just good advice on how to live or, or the, the kind of mindset you have to have if you're going to have an unpartnered life mm. in, in this world for any period of time. And it's, if you want to take pleasure in a holiday alone, you need to speak up very directly, identify and pursue your desires, protect your boundaries in ways you might not have to in company because no one else will abdicate for you. And there is no other flow to go with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true on a holiday. And I think that's true in general. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, but talk to me about holidaying alone. How do you as a single person have a satisfying holiday alone? Oh my God. I guess the thing is, it's going to be different for everyone, isn't it? Um, it is. So, but talk about how you do it. And then maybe just more generally what you think, what you think people can do to figure out what their version of it is. Yeah. So for me, I when I think about holidaying alone, I need to ask myself, what do I find relaxing? Because if I go on holiday, the thing that mm -hmm. I most want is to relax. Um, mainly because I am a complete sort of anxious stress head a lot of the time. The other thing that's also really important to me is I do not want to have to do chores when I'm on holiday. Mm -hmm. I want to be looked after. I want to be relaxed. I want it to be easy. I want it to be warm. I want to eat delicious food. And if I'm really honest, when I'm um, on holiday, I don't really want to be going to lots of places. I want to settle in a small area and potter. That to me is, is a really lovely time. And um, I want to be able to read and just 
clear my head a little bit. So I know that those things are important for me. So I have to design my holidays alone so that they can meet those needs. And for me, quite often that is about going to, you know, a small little seaside resort. And I say resort, I don't necessarily mean like a hotel or or anything, but I I just want to be somewhere that is walkable. Mm. Um, So for example, last year I went to a resort I'd never done this before, but I I took an all-inclusive holiday. Um, And on one level, it was really great because it kind of is very easy. But everyone there, there was no other person there alone. And there must have been, I don't know, thousands of people in this hotel. Um, And I just stood out like a sore thumb. So if I went to the adults-only pool, I'd be there on my uh, single sun lounger feeling vaguely guilty that I was denying a couple the chance to sit next to each other. On the first day, someone came over to me and was like, are you on your own? Are you lonely? Do you want to oh. come? And I was like, no, I'm on, I'm on a fucking holiday. I'm having, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I chose this for myself. And I, it just, it made me feel so, so kind of, why did you come and ruin it? And I know that, you know, she probably had thought she was uh, performing an active noble charity but it made me feel very very othered and so I probably won't do that again I probably won't go to an all-inclusive resort that is full of couples and families because I didn't get to just be a person moving through life on their own in a way that was completely uh what's the word Um, inconsequential you know whereas if I go to you know I had this wonderful holiday in Modelo Mondello in Sicily um, mm-hmm. where they were like, yeah, she's just a woman dying on her own. She's going in the sea. I, I was nothing. I was invisible. And I loved that. <laughs> I didn't want to be seen. So it sounds like holidaying alone is successful if you if you know successful, quote unquote, if you identify what is important to you and you pursue that. And maybe also have a care about choosing an environment where you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb and where you can be unobserved if that is what you want. Yeah. um, Sometimes I think about like, what do I enjoy? What do I find relaxing when I'm at home? And I just Mm. sort of transfer that into uh, a holiday situation. I love that. I see that we're coming toward the end of our time here. And I, I wanted to ask you just in general, what do you wish people were more sensitive to with regards to the life and experience of their single friends or their unpartnered friends? So um, there's probably a few things. I think the first is around not assuming that people who are single are unhappy or are in an undesirable state or that they need to be fixed because there can be times, I think, when people in couples make you feel pitied and it's really, really difficult to handle. Um, because mm. at times you you might pity yourself, but being pitied is a, is a really difficult thing. So just being, you know, making sure that you're curious enough to ask about what they want and what's important in their life. And I think linked to that, making sure that you are able to spot the things that should be celebrated in a person's life when they're not following the map that's laid out for us in in kind of white western culture of getting engaged getting married buying a house and, mm. and having a baby um there are many ways to live and there are many ways to love and i think 
Um, one way that you can make people feel loved and important is by celebrating the things that are personally meaningful for them. And what else? I think people in relationships can make single people feel very excluded. And part of that might be... Um, it can be really, really difficult, I guess, to know somebody if you always encounter them with their romantic partner. And if that person always talks in the plural, you know, if they're always talking about, we do this, we do that, it can leave the person who is single wondering, who are you? <laughs> who are you as an individual? And what is my relationship with you? Because if I think about like my best friend and, and her partner, I get to see my best friend a lot on her own. And so I have a relationship with her as an individual, but I also have a relationship with her and her partner. And I love both of those things. And then I would also want people to just be aware the way in which feeling bad about being single isn't all in people's heads. Like it isn't just about this sense of whether you've been lucky enough to find a romantic relationship. It's stuff that's enforced at a kind of structural, social, cultural state level. And that manifests in the way that our taxes are structured, for example, in the way that policies are developed. The idea of um, the kind of heteronormative romantic unit and the family are the things that are most prized within kind of political economic domains. And that can lead to inequality. And I think all of those things, I think, are important things to to just consider. Yeah, thank you so much. Th that was all very applicable okay. <laughs> and useful. Yeah, thank you. And um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, because this is a nonfiction book podcast, really, is um, have you read anything lately that you've really loved and would recommend? That doesn't have to be nonfiction. If you don't. I'll talk about a book that I really love called Kick the Latch by Catherine Scanlon. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a novel, but it's developed from conversations that Catherine Scanlon had with a, a horse trainer called Sonia. And it's just this amazing account of being deeply immersed in a kind of culture and a world, in this case of horse training, which to me sounded like something I would never, ever be interested in. But it comes across in this incredibly electric way. And it's an mm. encounter not just with like horse training, but with this individual who has made something her passion in her life. And I found it really thrilling and I can't recommend it highly enough. Wow, that sounds really, really cool. I also wouldn't think that's something that I would necessarily reach for, but I, you have me curious now. Yeah. <laughs> trust me, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> All right, Amy Key, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's been such a pleasure and thank you for your book. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you too, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. And we're going to talk a little bit about that Amy Key interview. Yes, indeed. How so, do you, where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? I really loved the part about, I loved talking about vacation. I love talking about friendship and how Amy explains in the interview and also largely in the book how friendships have made her. They have made me. They have altered me. They made me braver. They have changed my life. And she and I had a really meaningful conversation about that. And I loved this point that she made about how she's learned that you need to let the people who love you choose how to show up for you. 
Don't try to be modulating yourself so that they can't be there. And this is a hard lesson that I think I've started to learn and I'm still getting. I just, I loved that. I thought it was a really important nuanced thing to point out. Right. You mean when she said um, you're making it impossible for them to help you? Yeah. It was about like, you know, her best friend is partnered and her partner might be the first person who goes to a stressful hospital appointment with her. But it doesn't mean that Amy can't want her best friend to be that person for her. And it doesn't mean that her best friend doesn't want Want to to be be that person. Yeah. I talked to a friend uh, recently before I listened to this interview um, who's been in a relationship most of her 20s and 30s and is now single. Mm -hmm. And she was she said it's been really positive in the sense of going through a kind of reanalysis or reset. She's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't realize all this time how much I was oriented toward my partners. Yeah. Like even, you know, what groceries to get. Not not only, you know, life planning or something, but what I'm doing every day, you know? And then all of a sudden to be alone on all of that and how that changes and she was a bit surprised and then she feels like it's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, now I feel so much more confident and so much so much more braver and more connected to my, mm-hmm. you know, gut and mm-hmm. uh, instincts or something, mm-hmm. intuition. So I get what you said at the intro that... This is kind of about being unpartnered, but it's also just about home, friendships, how you live, how Mm. you approach things, how you talk to people. Mm. And it's important, I think. Yeah. It's life through a lens that we don't look through all that often. Yeah. And Amy provides such a clear lens for that. And as I said, she writes so beautifully and the words are so impactful. Um, What I loved about the vacation bit was, I think I even said this in the interview, was how her advice for vacation is actually just really good advice for life in general. And it's like self-advocacy. That's it. (laughs) Know what's important to you. Pursue that. Just like make a choice about what you want to prioritize and doggedly pursue it, whether that means that you're like choosing a resort or it means like you have a hard bedtime at 9 p.m. And that's just how you want to live your life. That is okay. Yeah. I liked that. So you want to do books? Yeah, let's do books. What'd you bring? First, I want to shout out uh, an interview you did many years ago with Rebecca Traister here. Oh, yes. Rebecca Traister wrote this book, All the Single Ladies. Mm -hmm. I remember that interview. That was in 2017, I think, a lifetime ago. Truly. Um, So people can look that up. But the book that I brought, it's called The Art of Living Alone and Loving It Mm. by Jane Matthews. Mm -hmm. And it came out in 2018. But there is an entire collection on Blinkist of titles called Living Your Best Single Life. Mm -hmm. I've seen that one, yeah. So there's a lot. Actually, there's a huge amount of like content and books and audio and text for people to go through. And you also did a guide on adult friendships. I did. Which is also on Blinkist. So Mm -hmm. this is kind of a lot of of homework for people to do if they're interested in this. Yeah, so this book, The Art of Living Alone and Loving It by Jane Matthews, it makes the point, basically it's it's also speaking to people who are not single and Mm. saying don't make the mistake that only married folks are happy. Mm. Right? And then talking to unpartnered people, being single does have its own challenges, whether that's in like romance or in self-esteem sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Or even in taking responsibility for your own health or your own finances Mm -hmm. in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But that that, kind of like I was saying about my friend, it's hugely liberating. Yeah. So that's a book that people can check out. What did you bring? Cool. I like that, Rec. I brought a book by Nedra Glover-Tawab, and it is called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Mm -hmm. And boundaries, it's like a buzzword. Everybody talks about them. But the thing with with boundaries is that a boundary can exist unless you issue a consequence for violation of that that boundary, you know? Yeah. And that's a thing that I'm not great at issuing consequences. Like I'm I'm great at saying, oh, well, this is a boundary. But then, you know, when it gets violated, I'll let it slide a little bit. It's okay. And this is why my cat has no discipline. <laughs> <laughs> but um Nedra Tawab, so in the blinks to this book, it says that if you want boundaries to stick, then you've got to 
issue appropriate consequences. It says, remember, you're not obligated to give your time to people who don't respect you or who drain your energy. That doesn't necessarily mean that you don't care, but more that you're looking out for your own well-being. And I think that's really cool. The, like consequences, they, it sounds like really dropping the hammer here. But remember that like a boundary is, is it's a thing that we issue and that we create and think about in order to create comfort and safety for ourselves and the people around us. But if you, like me, could use some practice with issuing consequences with your boundaries in a compassionate way, then check out this one. It's, uh, again, Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover Tawab, and that is in the Blinkist app. Awesome. So let's get out of here. Let's wrap it up. Simplify is produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, you, Ben Schumann Stoller, Maria Levichik, and Stefan Obadia here in Berlin, Germany at Blinkist HQ. If you'd like to try Blinkist and listen to any of the books that we mentioned here at the end in the bookend, you can go to Blinkist.com slash friends and type in the voucher code arrangement, A-R-R-A-N-G-E-M-E-N-T, arrangement. Okay, and I guess that's it. See you next time. Bye.